Hi, my name is Chris Lodwig and I am an author and I'm here today with my good friend and collaborator, Christy. <laughs> Christy, tell us a little about yourself. Hi, my name is Christy Scheuer and I am a fiction editor and book coach and I am happy to be here today. And Chris, do you want to tell us about the book you have that just came out recently? Uh, sure. The uh, most important thing for this podcast is that my, my book, which I'm very, very proud of, was edited by Christy, who's sitting across the table from me right now. Um, I recently wrote a book called Host. It is the sequel to my first novel called Systemic. And Systemic was a, a sci-fi novel. It has to do with artificial intelligence and I like to call it my, my pre-apocalyptic novel, and Host is my post-apocalyptic novel. And Host is sort of a going back technologically in time, coming of age story with a neurodivergent protagonist. I think that's a good summary, Christy. I think it's a great summary. Great. <laughs> and we'll talk a little bit about why you chose to do all of those things, I think, over the course of the podcast <laughs> and get a little bit of insight into that process. What we really want to be doing with this podcast is, so Christy and I, we've been, uh, we've been working together for a couple of years now. And in our humble opinions, we collaborate very, very well. And so we wanted to, especially for, for me at least, I wanted to be able to speak to other independent authors not only about Christy and how wonderful she is, but just in general, I found that while working on my books, I, I've learned so much from my collaborations uh, from, my, from my editor, my book coach, uh, both for this novel especially, but even in my first novel, I was surprised at how much the collaboration with my editors really mattered. And I don't think a lot of people know about that, and they don't understand how that collaboration works. And so that's why I really wanted to start this podcast with Christy. And I think I really appreciate the fact that we both enjoy the process of creative collaboration. I think we both find it very life-giving and enjoyable, and also both learn a lot from each other. Um, and at that really, that relationship goes both ways, too, which I also think is important. Um, so it's something that we definitely want to talk about, that we want to champion. And then I also think that both Chris and I read a lot and we learn a lot and um, have kind of just delved into a lot of different things about how to write novels. And so I think the other thing that we want to do with this podcast is just to talk about some of the things we've learned and some of the places we've found some cul-de-sacs and some dead ends and how you might avoid some of those. And um, so we have a lot, I think, to say also about just the writing process and mm -hmm. how that works. Um, and then also some advice on kind of how to structure or start or muddle through the middle or finish your novel. So we'll be addressing a lot of those things as well. Good. One thing that I know you have that I don't, and I'm curious as you're talking about this, is I, I did have a little arts, a liberal arts degree. Mm -hmm. I have uh, two of them. I have a comparative history of ideas degree, which is very, very liberal arts. Mm -hmm. English majors think I'm really too liberal to talk to. They're like, that seems kind of squishy. Um, too liberal <clears throat> for an English major. Yeah, Something like, to brag about there. <laughs> people are like, oh, wow. Did you even have to study? It's actually a very hard degree, but 
but no, it's also pretty loosey-goosey. And then I got a communications degree, uh, which is all to say I didn't have a formal education in writing and storytelling and things like that. I've always liked writing. You, on the other hand, have a little bit of a different story. Like, where did you come from and what's your background and... So um, I was an English major in college and then um, did a PhD program at the University of Illinois. I am ABD, so all but dissertation. And if you have any questions about that, any of you grad students out there, just check in. Um, I have some stories. Uh, But it means I was in school for a very long time in a literature program. Um, But I think most importantly is that I also taught for a really long time. And that's actually where I learned almost everything mm-hmm. about about storytelling, about what works, and also just about communicating with people and with working with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, because grad school was tough in a lot of ways. There was actually a lot less collaboration than I would have liked among my peers because mm-hmm. we were all kind of trying to claw our way to some jobs that may or may not have existed. Yeah. And... So I think that that process was less collaborative than I wanted it to be, but teaching was extremely cool. And I think that was where I learned um, a lot about how to communicate with people about their writing Mm -hmm. and how to do that at kind of every different stage. Mm -hmm. Because with students, you have people who are just in so many different places in their writing journey. Yeah. So... Um, I think that was probably where I learned the most. Yeah. Well, the reason I ask is because one thing about me is I don't know anything about anything. And so what I do, like when I, when I started writing my first novel systemic, first off, I didn't even know I was writing a novel. I just started writing one day on the bus. And had I known how little I knew about writing, I don't know that I would have done it, which would have been a shame because a, I'm very fond of that book. I mean, it, it was really a fun book to write. But the the process of writing a book and doing and like learning by doing and working and collaborating with my editors and my beta readers, like it really taught me. If you're open to it, it teaches you so much about the art of story writing. And the thing I was curious about, I know you write as well, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if the majority. What you've learned to do in your technique and your theory has come from formal education or from trial and error? That's a really good question. So my training was actually in literary criticism, which doesn't doesn't train you how to write. It trains you how to critique the writing of others, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which is really interesting. And so I had a lot of friends who were in MFA programs, so I learned a lot from talking to them. And also I've just read a lot my whole life and read I would say fairly indiscriminately I love reading everything I will read cereal boxes I will read almost anything and I think um for me in many ways that was the best education yeah was just was reading as much as possible and um reading in as many genres as possible and so I think I think formal education can be helpful, Mm -hmm. but I think it can also hurt in a lot of ways. So for people who are wanting to write, I think that everyone should come to it with exactly what they have in their life right then and and do the writing. I think there are a lot of things you can learn. Um, I think there's a lot of um, kind of tricks about storytelling, and we can talk about some of those. Um, 
And so there are ways to do it more efficiently and effectively. But I would say to most people, start where you are. Because um, it's really one of the really things interesting things I learned in graduate school is that getting a training in literary criticism doesn't teach you how to love books. Yeah. And sometimes it just teaches you how to sound smart about books without actually um, doing the work. And I think what I've realized over the years is that I would much rather work with people who are actually writing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and be really honest about what I love and what I struggle with, with their work, mm-hmm. than to sit around and um, try to prove I'm smart at a grad school party, <laughs> which I never want to do again. <laughs> so this is actually an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. How do you know me? How do I know you? Yeah. I've known you for a while. You have. Um, I know you because you're my cousin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so here's an interesting thing about uh, about you, and I've told you this before, but I've mm-hmm. never told the the massive number of people who are certainly listening to this podcast, the first episode of our mm-hmm. podcast. You were the first baby I ever held. When I was six years old, uh, I think you had a little like alcove at your dad's house, your mom and dad's house, and mm-hmm. they. Put, gave me the baby so I wouldn't drop it because there was a table between me and the floor. That was the first baby I ever held, and that was you. Wow. Yeah, you it's amazing. It's I didn't amazing. know that. I, know. I did, but I'm trying to react. Yeah, no, you can react by saying, stop saying that story. You've told me that story so many times. I like that story. It's comforting. Yeah, it's, yeah. Now we've got gray hair, so there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and, uh, and I think that we started working together on this book um, probably... Well, so I started jogging with your husband, mm-hmm. uh, who's a good friend of mine as well. And uh, I started talking about this second book I was writing. And he kind of said, you know, you should really talk to Christy about that. And I said, Ugh, I don't want to be an imposition on my cousin. That's just kind of one of these things. I was, I was really excited when you asked me to look at your book because I have, in the past, I've done a lot of academic editing, which... It's <laughs> not me. <laughs> I want to say that a lot. I, I am I am really happy to be reading people's stories. Yeah. I am really, really happy. It is so much fun. Yeah. Because I think, I don't know, I think the pleasure of being let into people's weird little worlds that they make yeah. is probably the best thing. Definitely. One of the best things that's ever happened to me. First question's on you. It is. Why do you write? Mm-hmm. Which I'm really interested in. But I also want to know... Why are you writing this series, Mm. the one that you are? And you can start with either question. There's two reasons that I can think of that make make me write. One is I, you know, there's people that do yoga and they just got to do yoga. Mm -hmm. I kind of got to write. And every morning if I don't write, I write for about an hour, hour and a half every morning. And if I don't do it, I feel really annoyed. Mm. And so it it is just like people exercising. I, I feel annoyed if I don't write. The other reason that I write, I I don't do this as much thanks to my editors, but I used to love the idea, especially with imagery, that I can see a thing and I can describe it to you in a very special way that would put that image in your mind. Mm-hmm. Stephen King talks about this in on writing, and it's he calls it uh, telepathy. And that idea of being able to share what's in my mind with other people, I think, is really fun and interesting. And lastly, every once in a while, I will write a thing that makes me cry. 
And that sounds sappy, and it sounds like it means a scene at the end of a book. It's saying, no, no, sometimes I will describe a snail. And I just, there's something where I just feel like I hit it just right, and it makes me very emotional, and, and it feels really good. It feels like stretching out a sore muscle or something. And I really just am a little bit addicted to that feeling. So those are my reasons why I write. Yeah, those are all really good reasons. So I'm going to turn that on you. Yeah. Why do you edit or coach or whatever? Or coach you, or you, whatever. And you also write. So take that anywhere. You, you do three things to my one thing. So Not really. I, so I, like, I do think I self-identify as an editor. Mm-hmm. That feels like the strongest to me. I think the very simple answer for me is it's very fun and it's very satisfying for me to edit other people's work. It is, I think one of the ways I do relationships, which is probably getting into therapy, Mm -hmm. like I really like interacting with people via language Mm -hmm. and specifically the language on the page that's really important to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And getting a good sense for who they are because I think you get to know people in a really different way that way. Mm-hmm. And I I love every aspect of it. I love the story development part, mm-hmm. kind of being able to sit in the middle and just think like, okay, what can happen with this story? But I also love what I call pruning, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think you that call sta- stabbing you in the heart and yeah, twisting, yeah, the, twisting knife. the knife. Um, but I, I really like the idea and this is going to sound really cheesy, but you know, there's that old saying about Michelangelo, like seeing the marble and then mm-hmm. chipping at it away until it emerges. Mm-hmm. I do feel like sometimes I see something that somebody's written mm-hmm. and I'm able to see the outline of it in this mm-hmm. really cool way and to kind of say, like, okay, I think that's where the story is. Mm-hmm. I think that for me is the most satisfying part. And I also do really like, and I think especially during the pandemic and just not having, not being able to see people as much, I really like um, being let into people's Mm -hmm. worlds that they've created. And I love talking to people about their characters um, as if they're real people. It is one of my favorite things Mm -hmm. because it's so much fun that there's this kind of third space that's created Mm -hmm. where these people that you have made up become extremely real to me mm-hmm. to the point where we argue about what they would do and not do. <laughs> Which is also very fun to me. Maybe less fun to you. No, no, it's great. The one thing that's really fun about a good editor is when they find things that you didn't know about your characters, about your story, about your theme. I remember the the first time I, I experienced this was in my last book, Systemic, where there's an AI who's the orb. Arlie, right? She's mm-hmm. this glowing orb that just kind of hovers around. And there was another scene where one of my, my characters was lighting at night just some flint and steel and is flashing in his eyes. And I was talking about that ghost of that flash is like hovering in front of his eyes. And she was she did that. Oh, this is such an interesting tie-in to the to primitive thing mm-hmm. and the and the and, but the AI is this advanced version of it. and I'm like I had no idea that I did that and I saw it and I'm like that's actually great and it's beautiful but I didn't mean it and you did that 300 times in my book where you're pointing out themes that were there that I didn't know I'd put in there and I don't think that it's true that you made them up like I really think that it was a discovery process and then you get into the therapist thing where it's like mm-hmm. you're, you're delving in and you're finding things about my characters and the way they act 
and, and, and the structures, the social structures I put them in and what that all means and how it all ties together. And it's, it's fascinating to watch in the same way that you're talking about how fascinating it is to be in that kind of space. It's very interesting to like blow something out into the world and have somebody like rearrange it for you in front of your eyes and see all that stuff. That's really very cool. Mm-hmm. So that's the collaboration thing going there. It's really neat. It is. I think it's one of the coolest things about being human is that we can make a thing that communicates really profoundly with somebody else. And the fact that we can do that feels kind of like a miracle. Yeah. And again, it's like, you know, Stephen King calls it telepathy and maybe it's a miracle or whatever. But that idea that you can take something and uh, put it into somebody else's mind and have them play with it. And, you Mm -hmm. know, it's just this exquisite corpse of an idea that moves around across people. It's really fun. Um, I got a question for you. When do you think editors should be brought in? And the reason I think that that's interesting is because when I first started writing, I always thought editors proofread. They did commas and semicolons and and the like. And that's true and that's very valuable. But the real meat of what a good editor does, in my experience, is they do structural editing and developmental editing, things like that. So... So anyways, so that's what I mean. When, when, when should they come in? When you're an author, when should you seek an editor? And, and, uh, and as an editor, when do you want to be brought into a project? That's a great question. I think that it really does vary by the project and also mm-hmm. by the person. Um, so I would have said, a couple of years ago, I would have said, come to me when you have a complete draft. Mm-hmm. Um, because... You finish things, and then that can be the most helpful. I don't think I believe that anymore. Mm-hmm. I think it really depends on the writer. Um, so I would say for some people, especially if it's your first book or you're having a hard time getting into it, um, you can talk to a development editor. You can talk to a development editor. Oh, my God. A developmental editor? <laughs> you can talk to. <laughs> so you do writing, not speech. Is that what I'm together? Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> I have a uh, a voice for typing. No, yeah. I don't know. That's, I, that joke isn't working. <laughs> it's not working. It's not working. That's okay. Um, so <clears throat> there are a lot of people who work as developmental editors. Very well done. Um, or book coaches. Mm-hmm. And I think you can bring somebody in at any stage as long as you and that person are very clear about what you're looking for. Mm. And so sometimes... People can call in an editor just because they need a cheerleader mm-hmm. or somebody to hold them accountable or somebody to help them do some project management. Mm-hmm. Just having somebody else to hold you accountable or to ask you questions about your book or to tell you that you have a great line or that you have a, the kernel of a story uh, can be really useful. Mm-hmm. So I would say any stage works. Mm-hmm. But as a writer, you want to be really clear about what kind of feedback you want at that stage. Mm. So I think probably the most dangerous thing, and I think something that people have experienced, um, because sometimes I hear people say, you know, never talk to an editor until you are fully done with your draft and Mm -hmm. you feel really good about it. Because the risk is, is that somebody's going to come in and they're going to give you some feedback that kind of makes you want to stop writing mm-hmm. um, or that stops you in your process. And that that is always a danger, mm-hmm. right? that people can give feedback that might um, make you feel stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that a good editor 
is going to have a feeling for that and is also going to try to give you really good and specific ways to continue. Mm. Um, and so what I would advise for writers is actually if you're looking for an editor is to get kind of clear with yourself first about what you want at this stage. Because if you mostly want to talk about the big story arc, but you have but you hire somebody who's a copy editor, and we can talk about like the different kinds of editing, but you hire a proofreader or a copy editor, um, and they come in and give you just a bunch of line edits, that's not helpful for you mm -hmm. at that stage. And so one of the really confusing things in the relationship between writers and editors is figuring out what stage of editing you need. Mm -hmm. um, but a good editor is going to give you that feedback anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would say, um, if we're getting down to the technical aspects, is always giving somebody um, some sample pages mm -hmm. so that you can really have a conversation about what stage of the writing process you are. Um, I will say as an editor that a lot of times people will come to me with pages and say, my book is fully finished, I just need a proofread. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's not true. I think it's never true. It probably is never true. <laughs> I don't want to use never. It's, a, it's an absolute, but it's not often true. There are true. geniuses out there. There are geniuses I've never met there. one, <laughs> but I'm sure they're out there. But it is, all, I honestly, as, as an editor, sometimes it's a red flag. If I know somebody hasn't had an editor, and especially if they haven't had any beta readers, mm -hmm or um, anyone that they've shown it to and tell me that the book is ready to be published and just needs a proofread. Um, because it's very, very difficult to do that work with your own book. Yeah, for absolutely. anyone. Um, so. Well, and, and I think that, again, getting back to my view, and I think your view too, about collaboration and how, you know, we all in this culture have this idea that of the lone artist and the suffering artist and the, you know, sitting upstairs with a bottle of Jameson and their typewriter and going at it until it's all done and it's perfect and it's just in my experience not only is that horrid it's also not true it's not fun and but I think we have that that idea in our minds which is why people want to say they're all done and if you do that I think that you're missing out on what I consider to be one of the most enjoyable parts of the whole process which is the collaboration so so don't think you're impressing anybody by doing that go have some fun with the editor they're great so. Yeah. I would also say that most editors are fairly nice people. Um, I think I've been an, both an English teacher and an editor, and I know the reputation of both of us, is both groups of people, is that we're wielding our red pen and just ready to just destroy your soul. Um, Those are critics. Those are. <laughs> Luckily, I don't do anymore, as I said. Grad school level thank, critics. Thank goodness. Um, and hopefully, so hopefully people don't don't really believe that of your um, composition teachers or editors. But my main goal is to collaborate with writers. And also, I want writers to feel affirmed. I want them to make mm -hmm. sure that they know what they're doing right. Mm -hmm. um, which is incredibly important. Like everyone needs feedback on what works because yeah. that's the thing that you really want to lean into. And I want people to keep writing and yeah. I want them to make something beautiful. And so that's really my goal and that's the writer's goal. And it's one of those moments where even if we don't agree on every aspect of the process or of the manuscript, I think our goals are really aligned. Mm. And that is, um, or hopefully in a good working relationship, they're aligned. And that is, to make the best book you can possibly make. Yeah, so agreed. I think that's great. So the one thing, you, you mentioned a red flag 
about a, a writer who comes in and says, you know, this thing's already done or mostly done and it just needs to be proofread. I have a red flag for editors, mm-hmm. which is they want to write, they want you to write their book. And, and that's a hard thing to pick up on because most editors know a tremendous amount, but everybody wants to have written a book. And so the, the thing to just to be aware of with editors, never one that I've had, but it's always a fear that I had that when they give you feedback that they're trying to even subconsciously make the book that they want to read. And to some degree, that's their job. And to some degree, it's not. And it's just something you need to watch out for. I've been very fortunate. My books have always come out twice as good after my editors have had a good whack at them. But so. I do think also that that's something that if you are interviewing editors, mm-hmm. which you should absolutely do and get some um, feedback on sample pages, mm-hmm. it's really good for both people. One of the things I would recommend that writers look for is a editor who asks a lot of questions instead of gives too much advice. Yeah. Because, um, and this is something I work hard on and it you know, depends on the day and the hour, but my goal is to ask questions that will hopefully cause the writer to kind of stretch and answer and mm-hmm. give me a better sense of what's going on in that moment. Um, and I find it a lot more helpful. I think any time somebody says something like, you need to do X, mm-hmm. You should be careful about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it is, and I think that's true not only of editors, but of beta readers, of critique partners, anybody that of you're working friends. with. Of friends. <laughs> anyone who says, you know what your story really needs to do? Yeah. Is this. And um, just a, a little example from, I'm, I'm trying to write a book, and it's about, it's a creepy technology book. And one of the really interesting lines that I found is that if, People want to tell me about their creepy technology. I love that. Like all of all of the creepy technology stories I love. But if they then say, and your main character needs to experience this in the following way, mm-hmm. that's when I find kind of my guard coming up. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, I would love to take your creepy technology story mm-hmm. and, and, and use it in my own way. But when it gets turned into a kind of prescriptive advice, like mm-hmm. this is how it needs to happen, um, I get a little more wary of that. Yeah. And yeah, I think so. that that's kind of a good, I think you can develop that gut reaction mm-hmm. to say, I don't, I don't know if I need this advice right now. Yeah. So. And yet, I also want to say that in my experience, editors are almost always right. I remember somebody once asked me like, well, do you just like keep everything backed up and do you keep everything that's like, like, how do you delete things? And I was like, I've never deleted anything that I ever wanted back. Yeah. And I mean that. My books are always better for having cut. And yes, I did cut 80,000 words out of my last book. So. That's a lot of words. It's a, well, it's a developed, my <laughs> very, mean. very smart editor made me do that. <laughs> I don't have trouble writing the number of words. It's writing the correct words. That's mm-hmm. the hard part. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, please. So, um, you asked me when editors should be brought in. Mm-hmm. What is kind of, what are you feeling? When do you think editors should be brought in? Oh, you know what? That's actually good. So, I've learned to use editors in different ways in different times. And so, I, I personally find it very 
sort of dangerous to let anybody read anybody not editors but anybody to read my work early um there's a lot of embarrassing things in there um a lot of just trash that has to come out of my brain you mentioned the sculpting metaphor and obviously you need to have rocks before you can sculpt and so there's a lot of rocks and gravel in there and i don't really want anyone to to see it but what i do like to use you for and 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 my wife is also a great editor uh in in her own right um is as i'm bouncing off ideas and having somebody who can talk to me about things and 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 pick at those ideas like just out loud so there's no reading or anything but that to me is an editorial process it's a, it's spitballing it's hanging out with people that you trust who will ask you interesting questions your husband asked me some very interesting questions it's amazing that one question from a smart person can lead me to you know 15,000 words of writing mm-hmm. you know one one run around the lake can lead me to 15,000 words and and so I use I use that um, as far as getting actually into editing I would wait until after my first draft and then to your point first drafts are ugly they're ugly and and uh, a good editor will go at it with a very blunt instrument and start smashing it into shape rather than picking out your commas and things like that. So, and that's that's really useful because that first pass is where you really start to develop your themes and your ideas about you know what what that big pile of stinking garbage you just wrote is actually about. Uh, and and that's my. F- that's really my favorite editing pass is going from a, a, a first draft to a second or a third draft. And that process and that collaboration, I think, is the most entertaining and the most fun. So, Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think I would use different metaphors. That's also my job to use different metaphors. <laughs> I don't think any... Are you, you going to edit this down? <laughs> Take a lot of my I don't... I love your metaphors, just for the record. Just let it be stated for the record. I love your metaphors and images, and I think you should continue writing them. You don't like my smashing metaphors? Well, I just think, I just don't agree that it's a heaping bunch of garbage. Oh, but the first draft, it's not, I mean, the reason I say that isn't because I definitely, I think that my own stuff's a sticking pile of garbage, but I'm very cognizant of the fact that readers, or writers, I should say, get very spun up and very insecure about their first drafts and how terrible they are. And I'm really trying to, because it's important to me to have this feeling in my life, and I really want other writers to feel it too, it's okay to write a stinking pile of garbage. It's it's kind of like, it's like stinking pile of garbage writer pride, right? It's like, we, we you have to do that. It's something that, in, in your, your second book's first draft, is going to be better than your first book's first draft. And, but you really need to give yourself the freedom as a writer to write that stinking pile of garbage. Is it actually a stinking pile of garbage? Not really, but I want people to know that that's okay. Because yeah. I just foisted it upon my editor. <laughs> you know, that's what editors are for. You give them that, that big old pile and they deal with it. But, yeah, point well taken. Yeah, I think it is... Um... I, I love looking at first drafts, and, um, and I guess the reason I just wouldn't use a garbage metaphor is that, um, 
Although garbage is really interesting, so maybe it's a really good metaphor. <laughs> it's, now, it's see, just, now I'm in it. Now it's I'm disjointed. <laughs> it's disjointed. It's in little piles. you got to move stuff around. It's like You learn the what's refuge. important to somebody. Absolutely. And because that, I guess that's what I would say is the first draft is where you learn what matters to the yeah. writer. And I think that as, as an editor, for me, that's the most important question. And I usually ask it to people, mm-hmm. but I also kind of find it as I read. And that is like, what's essential to this book? Yeah. Like, what is this book really doing and what's it really need to do? Mm-hmm. Like, what's its job? And then I think that that, and I think that's why that first pass through is so much fun. Yeah. Is because you're trying to figure out like, what is it, what is this thing? What is this thing doing? And what is it's kind of, it's beating heart mm-hmm. and then see if we can get closer to that. So I am interested in knowing what parts of the editing process. So I know it was fun for me. I know what I enjoyed. <laughs> but what what was fun for you and what was frustrating or difficult? Well, um, it's all fun for me, honestly. Some things are more frustrating than others. But I also like to edit my own work quite a bit. I am one of those rare people who literally enjoy editing almost as much as I enjoy writing. So the so take take that for what it's worth um but the the things that were frustrating for me are at some point things feel i I get dispirited it's like oh my gosh i'm rewriting this this thing for the third time or whatever or we're taking a new change on this thing And, and and that's hard you know, I laugh about the 80,000 words, uh, and those, they really did need to go. Um, but there's this moment where, and you've experienced this a lot with me, where it's like, I'll never figure out how to do this. This is going to be the worst. Oh, I can't. Mm-hmm. You're tearing out the soul of my book. Oh, it's just terrible. And then the next day I'll go, hey, Christy, I fixed it all. <laughs> so very fast. I'm pretty fast. I'm pretty yeah. fast with the edits. But... But uh, those, some of those things were very disparaging. And, and here's the other thing I'll tell you. I know I've told you, but so I wrote my first book and I didn't know anything about anything. And I wrote a book and it was a very good book. I'm very proud of it. Um, I never knew I could write a good book. And I did. I'm very proud of it. Um, but I did feel this little, ha, now that I know how to write a book, this second one will be just really easy. I'm like, you know, it'll take me a little bit longer to write up front, but the editing process should be much faster. I, it wasn't. And that was kind of frustrating just because it was like, um, the book was so different than the first book and, and you're such a different editor and you're much, much more involved than my last editor. Um, which was great. And I got a lot more feedback, but all that feedback I needed to act on, and it just took a very long time, um, and that was that was frustrating. Just the amount of time it took. But the there were two chapters in my book that that I remember that you didn't really like, and there's actually and then there's a third section too that you didn't really like, and you're always trying to get them. And I was like, ah, I don't want to get rid of them and stuff. And in the end, I didn't get rid of any of them, but I massively changed, like massively, massively overhauled all three of those sections. And two of them turned into some of my favorite sections of the book. And the third one, I probably, in hindsight, you're probably right. <laughs> I probably should have cut, but I couldn't give it up. I just couldn't do it. Uh, I should have done it. But I, I shortened it a lot. Um, but 
Um, and so all that frustration and all that tension eventually resolved itself in a really nice way. And so I, it was it was good. I, I thought that was a, a nice outcome in the end. So, but uh, towards the end, I remember I really wanted to get done by Christmas because I that's when you sell books, um, and and some things were coming up, and I'm like, nope. At some point, we just you, you got to ship that puppy. That's we got that from software development. The biggest bug is that we haven't shipped. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like we took any shortcuts. I mean, you and I edited that book for, I think, a year and a half. It's a long, awesome. long yeah. haul edit. So yeah. we didn't take any shortcuts. And at the end, I was like, we just got to get it out. So. And I was going to say it was like mile 20 of the marathon, but I think it was more like 100 miler. <laughs> it was pretty long. <laughs> and you were on mile 99 yeah. and just the, the I, finish I, I challenge, challenge anybody else to get an author to cut 80,000 words and see how quick they can get it to happen. <laughs> Actually, I did cut most of those in like one weekend. It was a bunch of different chapters, a bunch of backstory that I yeah. cut out and then you... Yeah, you had some really good ideas about how to frame that backstory in a way that, that made it flow better with the book and uh and all the stuff that didn't need to be there um some of that is actually going to make it into book three great there uh i have two characters who are writing backstories and only one of them showed up in my current book and mm-hmm. some of that might show up and some of the stuff i moved might show up in the third book so we'll see cool. right now it's all trees fantastic so, I, love, I love to hear that <laughs> <laughs> love to hear that it's we'll all see. about trees it's all about trees so. <laughs> you said you, you're cutting the images but I'm hoping there's just like lots of tree images in no, this one. no it's a, a lot of a lot of tree thoughts it's going to be weird tree thought. it's going to be a weird book man I can yeah. tell it's going to be very strange so mm-hmm. alright well I think uh, I'm going to sign off that you feel like good. signing off I can sign off too alright well good evening Seattle it's not Seattle it's the world isn't that what they said on Frasier? I never watched Frasier. They say something. They're in Seattle. I mean, they're in fake you, Seattle. You, yeah, I was going to say it's fake Seattle. You know that that view doesn't exist. Yes. Yeah. I think it didn't they film in Vancouver? Probably. With a backdrop? Everybody films. But, but that picture out of his yeah. window? There's no window in all Seattle that has that view. So yeah. taken from like an airplane or something. Yeah. So it's sad. I'm just saying they say something like, yeah. Good evening, Seattle, signing off. All right. Well, we'll yeah. just leave it at that then. <laughs> I think we're supposed to say things about liner notes. Well, oh, we're supposed to say, so Chris, where can we find you in your books? Yeah, fine. Okay. Uh, we'll do that. You can find my books on Amazon. Uh, and you can find, so Chris Lodwig, the systemic series. And uh, there's only not a lot of Chris Lodwigs in the world. I'm pretty easy to find. Chris Lodwig author is my website. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and my daughter made me get on snapchat this morning so now i'm on snapchat i don't even know what my whatever that is so you could probably find me on snapchat are you on tiktok i'm not because i i I turned off tiktok because i realized it was just like a slamming my dopamine sensors all the time and so i got rid of that Plus, I don't want to be spied off by the Chinese. The Chinese don't know everything they want to know about me already. But they have a balloon. They have a I balloon. Love your they have a balloon. <laughs> so yeah, with a balloon flew over Montana. They they now know everything there is to know about me. So, All right. what about you? Where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on christinashoyer.com. and luckily my last name is extremely easy to spell. <laughs> Shoyer. That, by the way, is S C H E U E R. Yeah. Is it Christina Scheuer? It's ChristinaScheuer.com. Mm-hmm. We'll put that one in the notes. And then I'm on Instagram as Ash Meadow Edits. 
and that wings. What is ash meadow? So the okay, the ash meadow is the meadow next to my daughter's school oh. where I started doing a lot of work between classes. Okay. You don't have allergies? No. Not if, to I ash. Hung out, if I hung out in Ash Meadow, I would probably get snotty. So good. I'm no. glad you could find a place I'm to be. I'm allergic to wildfire smoke and COVID. You're allergic to COVID? <laughs> Long COVID. Long COVID. <laughs> I think I got dumb brain from COVID. You got asthma. I got dumb brain. I think so. I got that too. Yeah, did you? Yeah. We're really very talented writers and, <laughs> and, and editors, despite our long COVID. So, all right. Okay. Good night, everybody. Good night.